Well, uh, I've started to realize that most of the movies I've seen came out like 20 years ago, or uh, they're all like Frozen, you know, kids' movies. Those are the only thing I have time for in my life anymore. But as I was studying this week, I, I was thinking of a movie I'd seen about 20 years ago called National Treasure. Anyone familiar with that? Nicolas Cage, of course. So, and uh, Nicolas Cage is a treasure hunter, and he's looking for the treasure, uh, the lost treasure of the Knights Templar. And it is so lost, it's become legend, and most people don't even believe that it exists anymore. And, and uh, there's a scene in which Nicolas Cage speaks to his movie dad, John Voight, and says, movie dad, you know, I'm looking for this treasure, and, and dad says back to him, you know, movie son, uh, there's no treasure. There's no treasure. It was made up by the founding fathers to keep the British busy, you know, running around instead of fighting the war. And what you'll find is one clue followed by another clue followed by another clue, and you'll never actually find the treasure. And I thought to myself, sometimes I think our faith as Christians feels like that. Sometimes it feels sort of like God's always saying, just go a little farther. Just go a little farther, and then you'll be satisfied. Just wait a little longer, and then the answer will come. And I think that, especially in this Advent season, the season before Christmas, that's actually an attitude that God wants us to pay attention to. Not so he can be like, you know, you have little faith, but so instead he can say, I know. I know this is what it's like. When God speaks uh, to his people through the prophets in the Old Testament, Malachi is, is the last one that he speaks through, last book of the Old Testament. When you get to Malachi afterward, your Bible usually has a, a I'm sorry, uh, our Bible usually has a blank page, right? See, blank page right there, and then it says New Testament. And that blank page is meant to represent the fact that 400 years passed between the end of Malachi's ministry and the coming of Jesus Christ. Any of you here 400 years old? Any of you here think you might live 400 years? The more important question, do any of you actually want to live for 400 years? Yeah, that's a long time. All of these people born and died, and God had spoken and hasn't spoken again. And they must have started to think their, that whole endeavor that they were about was a little bit like rearranging the deck chairs on the Titanic or whatever the, you know, 1st to 4th century B.C. equivalent was. Why are we doing this? We're just waiting and waiting and waiting. And I think that's where we find ourselves in Advent, remembering that feeling. It has, Jesus has come. Advent's not about pretending like Christmas didn't happen. Jesus has come, but not all of our problems are solved yet. We just prayed about it in the prayers of the people, right? The Prince of Peace has come, but the world is not yet fully at peace. Jesus has come and answered to his people's prayers, and yet his people are still praying if they know what they're about for Jesus to come again. The early church, one of the things they said most often was, Maranatha, which means, Lord, come. So what are we doing? How do we live in this in-between time? And that's what our passages are really about this morning at the end of the day. 
See, I found something interesting as I was studying, which kind of threw me off a bit. But as I was studying uh, our, our passage here from the gospel, the angel announcing to the shepherds that Jesus has been born, it says, uh, the angel says, do not be afraid, right? We did that week one of Advent. I bring you good news of great joy. That was week two. And now in week three, that will be for all the people. And I noticed Ray left out the definite article there, which is the word the, in case you're not up on your grammar and that's all right. He left out the the, but there really is a the, the people, not certain people, not just any people, but the people. And every time Luke uses this phrase in his gospel, it always means the people of Israel. So we're, we're tempted to jump ahead of where the angel actually is in the first place. The angel says, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people instead of all the people. Get the difference? I'm doing some kinetic learning this morning, just like we saw on the video. All the people of Israel. Why is that important? Is it so we can be exclusive this morning and be like, you know, hey, if you're not in, you're not in. We're totally fine with that. Get out. No, I don't think so. As a matter of fact, the other verses that we read, if you remember uh, Ray this morning to start us off, he read a passage from Galatians where the people of Israel are the children of Abraham. But in Galatians, Paul says, who are the children of Abraham? Not children by blood, but children by faith. And anyone can have faith. Again, the angel, just the people of Israel. And it's because the people of Israel needs to know that God follows through on his promises. And he made his promises to those people and said they will extend through you to the entire world. God spoke to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. And he says, go, to the, leave where you are, go to the land I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and all the world will be blessed through you. So let's not get things out of order. In the first place, God's blessing flows through his people out into the rest of the world. So folks, if you're not being a blessing, you're not living in what God has for you. You're not living in what God has called you to. Now, I don't mean to heap all of the world's problems on your shoulders because none of us can possibly bear up under that weight. But as I was praying this morning, as I was reflecting on the sermon, part of what I was praying is, God, just would you open my eyes to the moments today where you intend for me to be a blessing to the people around me? Would you show me who those folks are? Would you show me what those opportunities are? Because I know you haven't called me to fix all of the world's problems. I can't do that. All of us together can't do that. But we can start to allow God's blessing to trickle out through us into the rest of the world, to all the people that God loves, not just a certain people, but everybody. And the main way we do this is by living through the promises that God makes, living in light of them, living in hope of them, and all of these things. So first, let's go to that Old Testament reading that Ray gave us from the, the book of Isaiah. Isaiah saw that in the last days, notice that he puts a time on this. He doesn't say every day, but he says in the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of the mountains. And it's not just because they'll have the best view up there, but it's actually because in the ancient world, 
people thought the highest places are the places closest to heaven. And so if we want to worship, we'll go to the highest hill and worship there. And this became a huge problem for the people of Israel because they looked at all of the nations around them. God had said, I want you to worship me in the tabernacle, in the temple, in Jerusalem. But they kept building altars on these high hills because they were saying, well, everyone else builds altars on the high hills. So clearly what everyone else does is more important than what God says. But God is telling them someday, there will be a day when the only worship is to the one true God. In the last days, and all of the nations will stream to it. And everyone will say, come, let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of the God of Jacob. So if we are here this morning, we're thinking, I can't really see who Jesus is. I can't really see who God is. Is he really all that he claims to be? Or maybe we're saying, I know that he is. Why can't all these bozos around me figure it out? Well, first of all, repent of calling everyone bozos. But secondly, I want you to see that there is a day that's coming when the truth will be unavoidable and everyone will recognize it. And, and when that happens, it won't be a burden anymore. It won't be a cause of conflict and consternation. But instead, many peoples will come and say, let's go up there so that he will teach us his ways, so that we may walk in his paths. And when we say that, When we say that, God will judge between the nations and settle disputes for many peoples. And what kind of judgment will this be? Will it it be an onerous sort of judgment where it's like, oh, God said this, so I guess I've got to do it? Or will it be, you know, God with all of his angels behind him, you know, with drawn swords, like, do it! Or else, no, it'll be like this. The people will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks, and nations will not take up sword against nation. Think about what it was like in the ancient world. You're out there harvesting your field, and all of a sudden an enemy army appears on the horizon. There's nowhere to go, and there's nothing to do, and all that you have is burned and destroyed and lost. And if you're lucky, you might keep your life. God says the world's not going to be that way anymore. When you go out to to plow and to harvest, that fear won't be there anymore because there won't be any swords left. They're all beaten into plowshares and pruning hooks so you can make your harvest in peace. Come, descendants of Jacob, let us walk in the light of the Lord. There's so many things that promise peace in our world. So many things. I'm not saying that they haven't given us some good things, but none of them have really been able to deliver at the end of the day, have they? Woodrow Wilson at the close of World War I said, we need some sort of league of nations that can prevent this sort of thing from happening again and coming together of the countries so that we can work out our problems in the boardroom instead of on the battlefield. And of course, the uh, the League of Nations failed immediately. We couldn't do it. The United Nations hasn't done it. Putting a different president or king or dictator in office hasn't done it. They're still here. Matt's still serving in the army. Because we don't live in that world yet. So the Lord will be exalted. One day, it's coming. 
It's begun in Jesus, but it's coming again in the last days. But if the Lord will be exalted, if he will be on high, then we as people will no longer, some of us be high and some of us be low. We'll no longer look on each other and judge each other. We'll no longer uh, feel looked down upon by the, the people around us. We'll no longer feel bad about what we've done or what we haven't done, what we've achieved or what we failed to achieve. We won't say, well, you live in the nice neighborhood and, and I live in the bad neighborhood and feel a separation because of that. And it's because when we are in Jesus, and this is already coming true, if, if the fact that all of everybody will one day finally acknowledge who God is, that will finally become clear, what is already present for us today, which we find in the book of Galatians, and my marker has run away, so I'm going to have to, oh, there it is, is this. Paul says uh, to the church in Galatia in chapter 3, starting in verse 26, in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. You don't come from different families. You don't live in different places. You don't have a different, more spectacular father or mother or less spectacular father or mother. You are all children of God through faith, if you have put your faith in Jesus Christ. And then he goes on, all of you who are baptized into Christ, have clothed yourselves with Christ. If you look around this morning, you'll see we're all dressed a little bit differently, right? I remember there was a member in the church, uh, he died several years ago, but he told me once I went into this church and he always used to wear shorts and a t-shirt. Didn't matter where he was, didn't matter what was going on, shorts and a t-shirt were what he wore. And part of the reason for that was because that's what he wanted to wear. And another part of the reason for that was because he didn't have a lot of money to afford much else. He said, one day I went into a church and I got in there and I saw everyone glaring at me the whole time. And I realized it's because I was wearing shorts and a t-shirt. And it, you, some of you are going to figure out who this is based on this story. But he said, I walked out of the church and I shook my, the dust off my feet on the way out like, you, like Jesus said to do, right? You wouldn't receive me, so may God kill you all. And what the New Testament is telling us is there is no such church that operates that way. If we're a church and we look down on certain people or we even look up to others as better than or more than or less than, then we're not living the faith that God gave us. And it gives us a concrete and tangible reason for this. You are adopted. If you... If you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, you become part of God's family, and now you're all brothers and sisters. That's why some churches say brother and sister to each other a lot of the time. That's why in the New Testament, uh, Paul, most of the uh, New Testament authors start off their letters with their, you know, dear so-and-so, right? But the way they do it was a lot fancier, right? He says, Paul, an apostle, not sent not from men nor by a man, but by Jesus Christ. And God the Father raised him from the dead because Paul's going to have some trouble with the church. But, but then he says, he addresses the letter, and all the brothers and sisters with me. Right? All of my fellow Christians, my family. And so when, when Paul says later in the letter that there is neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, nor male nor female, he's not saying, like, you stop being dudes and girls. He's actually saying all of the way you look at each other differently for these reasons and think that you're better or worse, 
that's not how you can think of each other anymore. Because in the ancient world, you know, women were not as good as men. Ancient world, not this world, okay? <laughs> Paul's saying, you can't think that way any longer. There is no male nor female. In the ancient world, in these churches, there were slaves and masters. And Paul was saying, you know, slaves and masters, slaves are used to thinking of themselves like this and being treated like this, and masters are used to thinking of themselves like this and being treated like this, but no more. You are brothers and sisters. He says, uh, there's neither Jew nor Gentile. And in one sense, this is a religious distinction, but probably Paul's using this more as an ethnic distinction that was related to religion. Jews are the ones who have the law and who keep the law and are good and beautiful and true. And Gentiles are the dirty ones that if we let them in, they can sit in the back. And Paul's saying, no more. Yeah, Jews had the advantage of, of having God's plan and revelation come to and through them. But what matters is not what you were, but what you have become in Jesus Christ. So when the angel says, good news for all the people, what he's saying is God fulfills his promises, and he doesn't leave you out in the cold. And when he does that, we find this new togetherness, this new unity with each other. Because we're not many people anymore. We're one people in Jesus Christ. And all of our divisions, they start to simply fall away. Uh, back in June, I think it was, we had our friends, our friends from Korea come visit us, uh, Pastor Lee and Pastor John and their wives. And, uh, and you know, the thing that we, we picked up from this is this amazing thing. Pastor, Pastor Lee and Pastor John, uh, Pastor Lee doesn't speak much English. Pastor John speaks some English. So he said, we'd just like to, they got here really early. We'd just like to hang out for a while and pray. I said, that's great. Love to have you do that. And then uh, when it was time to start worship, he came up and he said, you know, we've actually decided we'd like to stay and worship with you. So that's great. We would love to do that. And then, we, you know, we get to the prayers of the people and Pastor John and Pastor Lee are like, here are the six ways you can pray for us. And then uh, when after worship, you know, we're standing, we all go outside and it's summer and we're standing, you're mingling and talking and Pastor Lee comes up to me and he says in, I don't know if you Google translated or what, but he says, you must promise to come to Korea. Like, of course, we'll come, like someday we'll totally go to Korea. That's great. And then he called me three days later, and he said, my church wants to fly you and your wife and your four children and some leaders from your church out to visit us here in Korea. So why did this happen? Well, you know, the, there's part of me, uh, and I, I joke about this, but there's part of me that thought, okay, I need to, like, vet this and make sure this is okay because uh, I don't want to end up on YouTube with my head getting cut off. <laughs> and, so, you know, I, I, di I did some of that work, but as we got to know Pastor Lee and his family and his church better, what we found out is that they understood that in Jesus Christ there is no male or female. There is no Jew, no Gentile, no slave or free. They recognize that when we are in Christ... It's good news for all of us. And that good news transforms us and makes us family. Are you looking for a family this morning? Because you have one right here in Jesus Christ. Everywhere you go, 
If you belong to Jesus Christ, wherever you meet a Christian, you have family. So this Christmas, you know, normally, uh, normally for Christmas, we invite people, you know, we, we have dinner with our family at home, right? Uh, and that's a good thing. Don't hear me criticizing this morning. But when God did Christmas, you remember what he did? He left his home. Jesus Christ descended from heaven to earth. He came to be a stranger and a wanderer. He came to what to all appearances was a broken family because he was born outside of wedlock, and that was a really big deal, almost a death penalty big deal in the first century. And then he went out into all of the world, and he said, come be part of my family. Can you take that with you this Christmas? Can you invite someone into Jesus' family? And can you show it by inviting them into yours?